Hi. All right. So uh, last night we talked about the idea and the question that kind of pervades the human experience, which is in light of the way that I was made, the way that I was created, what am I, what's my heart set towards? What's the most important thing in my life? As one great theologian once said, whatever comes to mind when you think about the word God is the most important thing about you. Then another theologian, C.S. Lewis, said, I disagree. The most important thing about any person is not what they think about God, but what God thinks about them. So last time we asked the question, do you love God? In any relationship, in any marriage, in any friendship, if we claim to love one another, and yet there's no precepts of it, there's no practice of it, there's no evidence of it, there's nothing tangible, there's nothing viewable, there's no heart change, there's no surrender, there isn't any sacrifice, we would say, it's just a label, it's not real. Today, we're going to introduce this morning a new conversation and a new topic, and that is, what does it look like to love yourself correctly? You might have heard a great theological song by a man named Justin Bieber, who once wrote, if you like the way you look that much, baby, you should go and love. You heard that song? You should really be listening to strictly worship music, but that's fine. Um, and this is, right, this is culturally, this is so big. Love yourself, right? You guys in Parks and Rec, treat yourself, right? It's all about you. It's number one. You're the most important thing in your life. And you know what? No one else is going to take care of you, so you got to take care of yourself. It's whatever's most important. So I remember when I first got the series of like talks for this, for this um, three-day thing, the first one was like, love God completely. I'm like, I, I can teach that. The Bible's full of that. Love yourself correctly. I like started calling people like, what, what? What verse, what chapter, what story, what narrative? I mean, I had to take years of like Greek and Hebrew. So even in the original language, you're like, where, where do you find this concept? Where do we get this concept from? This idea of you gotta, you gotta love yourself correctly. You gotta love yourself, you gotta take care of yourself. It's your body, your choice. You're the most important part of your universe. The Bible comes along and says something very differently. And here's something you need to understand. We judge anything on planet Earth, anything, by its ability to do what it was built to do, right? If you have a, let's say you've got a hydro flask. You guys hydro flask people, right? You got a hydro flask. What, how many of you guys are like, I help the planet. Good. Hydro flask people, okay. Bakersfield's like, whatever. <laughs> Oil field, smog, who cares about the planet, right? We inhale all of Los Angeles' smoke all the time. We don't care. We're all going to die when we're like 37. It's fine. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, any dairy farmers in here? Ag people? <laughs> Ag, yeah. Did you know that if... Oh. I don't know what that means. Um, if Bakersfield were its own country, it would be like the fourth largest agriculture producing country on planet Earth. And they say Bakersfield's good for nothing. We'll take that. They've never been to the marketplace on a balmy Friday night, have they? <laughs> to watch the new Spider-Man movie. It's fantastic. I once uh, almost got arrested for kayaking in the fountain at the, at the marketplace. <laughs> but then I found Jesus, and my life's been different ever since. 
now I kayak in fountains in San Diego. So, yeah. But we, this is where we judge things. I was, uh, it was not that long ago, I was actually coming up to speak at Hume Lake, and I couldn't find my phone anywhere. So, you know, like, where you get, like, we're, we're, behind, the, we're behind the eight ball, like, we gotta figure out how to get there quick. So, I'm running around, like, trying to find it anywhere. It's got all my notes on it, right? And I've got, it's, it's how I'm gonna be able to navigate up to Hume Lake and do all these things. And so I'm like running around, right? This is a couple years back, so I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, where's my phone? Where? I don't know where my phone is. And she's like, I'll call it. I'm like, I haven't had a ringtone since 1999. You can't call my phone. Like, it doesn't ring out loud. It's just like, mm, mm, mm. So unless it's on like a piece of hard wood, I'm not gonna be able to find it anyway. So I'm searching everywhere for it. And it was in the summertime, and... Um, and it was, yeah, and then we had like an ant, an ant problem in our house, okay? So little ants came marching one by one into the house. And so my son Peyton, he was really big. Like one day him and dad did this thing where we went and tried to kill all the ants in our house. If you're like really like into animals, I'm not trying to offend you, but like we just, we just, it was like mass murder of all these ants, right? No mercy. I was like, take me to your leader. And I took him out too. And um, anyway, so we were just sitting there, and we would, like, get this fly swatter that we had. We would just smack all the ants, right? And then every once in a while, he would, like, have a fly swatter in his hand, but he would just get overzealous and smash him with his hand because he would forget he was holding up a fly swatter, and this is what he wanted to do. We're getting ready to go to Hume, and he, like, wants to kill more ants. He's like, Dad, Dad, come here, quick. We've got an emergency. And I'm like, is Harper okay? Is Brady okay? Is Leo fine? He's like, they're fine. They're whatever. They're annoying. But we've got ants. So I go there. Sure enough, there's like this big old trail of ants. And he's like, where's the fly swatter? It's like, son, this is not time for a fly swatter. This is time to get in the car and get ready to go. And daddy's trying to find his phone. So I keep running around. About 10 minutes later, I hear. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And I walk in to our living room and Peyton found my phone. And he discovered that not unlike a fly swatter, if you turn an iPhone flat on its face and hit it, it kills ants too. <laughs> so he hands the phone back to me. I'm like, right? Like, like <laughs> the Hulk, I was like starting to turn green. And what are you doing? He's like, I'm killing ants. I'm like, with an iPhone? Like, like, like I mean, this, if I push the right buttons, I can see someone in Hong Kong in real time and talk to them. Like, that's what this phone is capable of. I can check stock markets in, in the foreign exchange. I can buy Bitcoin. I can, I can learn, like, any question that's common to man that you ask me anywhere in the world, just any curiosity you have. Like when I was a kid, you watched a movie and you saw someone in the movie, you're like, I know him from, from somewhere. Too bad. You just never know. You're like, if he was in another movie, you were stuck. You, for the next three months, were gonna be laying in bed like, was it VeggieTales? Like, you're like, I just don't know. I just, I, where's his voice from? And now, within like three seconds, we're like, oh, that's the, the girl from Easy A. Oh, that's, that's Emma Stone, right? It's like, that's how quickly we can do it. And his phone's phenomenal. And if any of you know how phones work, which you probably don't, but any of you do, you're like, actually, technically, don't even explain to me afterwards. I don't care. I just know that they do. Like I can write something and it shows up on your phone and then I can send you a, I did a little picture. I don't know how it works, but I do know one thing. You're not supposed to kill ants with it. 
But you know what? He was right. An iPhone can absolutely be spent killing ants. But there's not a person on planet Earth who spends $1,000 on an iPhone who walks in and sees it being used in place of a 30-cent flashwater and thinks, that's a good use of that device. We would all start saying things. This was my conversation. It was, it, was, it, was very, it was almost a very theological conversation I was having with Peyton. I'm going, Peyton, this is not what this was meant to do. It was built for something so much more important than this. And now, because of its repeated attempt to fit in and to accomplish what it was never meant to accomplish, it has become altogether worthless to me. And if that's the way, we, how do we judge a car? You're like, I have the best car ever. Does it drive? No, but it looks great. Right? We would go, well, then you've got a bad car. If you've got an iPhone and your iPhone, like mine, had a cracked screen and couldn't make calls, we would say your iPhone is broken, junk, pointless, useless. Get rid of it. Right? At that point, sure, keep using it to kill ants because that's all it's good for. If you get some kind of musical instrument and it can't keep tune, it would be a non-functional musical instrument. The purpose that it was made for was to carry music, was to produce music, was to give melodies and harmonies, a drum to create rhythm and patterns. And if it doesn't do that, we go, it's not doing its job. It wasn't made for this. Friends, how much more then ought we be understanding of ourselves what we were made for? Because some of us in our lives, we've simply said, I, I, I don't really know what God made me for, right? I know that I'm not some sort of cosmic accident. Like, you get it. You're not some grown-up germ. It's not like goo to you via the zoo. Like, you didn't just, you're not stardust out in the ether that all of a sudden went, you know what? It's not good that we kill each other. That's not what happened. So you were made on purpose, by purpose, for a purpose, and one of the big crimes of our culture, especially in this love yourself culture, is we've given you a weight you were never meant to bear, which is discover your purpose, achieve your identity, pursue your worth. And the great narratives of your culture are fundamentally juxtaposed and antithetical to everything that scripture says about you. And do we wonder why our world is so messed up? I'm telling you, you might go like, well, it's Putin, and it's this, and it's, here's all the reasons our world, it's not. The world, the reason the world is in such disarray is because every one of us who was built on purpose, by purpose, for a purpose, has rejected that purpose and tried to discover our own. And much like broken iPhones and wandering around, feeling this weight of, this is not what I was made for, so I'm gonna keep trying it more, right? When you think that your life is meant to be popular, when you think that your life is supposed to be spent on social media getting more followers, when you think that your life is meant to get the next girl or the next guy to like you until you can drop them and move on to somebody else to objectify the people around you, if you think your life is supposed to be spent out doing those things, you will, like an iPhone, feel like, I think I was made for something different than this. But because I haven't discovered it, because I don't know what it is, and because this is so much simpler, and I can indulge myself, I'm gonna do this, rather than the hard discipline of figuring out what the heck I was meant to do. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 12. 
Like some of y'all, you're gonna grow up and you're gonna get this tattooed on your body because you're Christians and this is just what we do, right? It's Romans chapter 12, so you're very, you're very familiar with it. And here's a problem. The problem with familiarity, particularly when it comes to the scriptures, is this. We are least aware of what is most familiar to us. Right? There's an activity that you've probably already done 100,000 times today. And in your life, you will do billions of times, and that is to breathe. But I bet you don't think about breathing very often, right? Take it for granted. But then when you start thinking about breathing, what happens? You're like... Or your posture. Did everyone just... I wish you could have seen what I just saw. When I said the word posture, 80% of you went like this. <laughs> Why? Because you're least aware of what's most familiar to you. You're sitting in this, then someone makes you aware of it, and you go like this. And we're by nature sinful, we're, we're by nature liars, and we're by, we're by nature messed up, but the world doesn't want to tell us that. It says you're good people. The Bible comes along and says you're bad people. But we're all liars. You want to see? Everyone raise your hand as high as they can go. Everyone raise your hand as high as they can go. Now everyone go one inch higher. You're all liars. You see that? I said raise your hand as high as they can go, and then I went, now try hard. You're like, okay. <laughs> and if I said one more inch, you'd go, okay. <laughs> one more? Okay. <laughs> We're lazy. We're liars. We're not good people. And you're like, well, my mom calls me good. Well, she's not good either, right? Like, <laughs> she's a bad litmus test. The Bible puts her on the same plane as you. So like blind referees, we walk around throwing flags at each other and making accusations, and then we have the nerve to start writing music and telling you how you should live your life. If you like the way you look that much, you should go and love yourself, right? And every time Taylor Swift breaks up with someone, she writes a song about self-indulgence. I'm gonna eat some ice cream and hang out because it's ultimately his fault. I'm never the problem in any of my relationships. You want to be like, Taylor, have you realized the pattern in all this? <laughs> Maybe get a mirror and write another song about how all your problems are your fault. <laughs> I made that up just now. We don't want to hear that. And if you get down the mountain and you start telling someone, I listen to this guy, he kind of looked like Justin Bieber, he had five kids, way too young, he, he is, but then he told me that I was not the most important thing in my life. He said it wasn't important for me to love myself. Wrong, friend. I think it's extremely important that you love yourself. But I think you do so through the lens of who created you. Here's what C.S. Lewis once said. He said, God himself built the human machine. This is a truism, okay? If God made you, like just imagine you're sitting there and you've got like, uh, you meet one of your friends and they invented like the, the Nintendo Wii, right? That's way old school, that's not the Wii. It's not gonna be a Wii, it's gonna be a uh, Switch. Is that it now? It's a Switch, man, you're a loser, okay. <laughs> I'm nationally ranked and you're an idiot, okay. Um, you get a Switch, right? If I was like the inventor creator of the Nintendo Switch and I walked into your house and you were having issues with the Switch, I would hope that you would have the peace of mind and the presence of mind to go, hey, what's this say? Like my brother's a tech, Chandler Hilkin, he went to BCHS, he's a tech director at, my, at, at the church down in, uh, that I've worked at for the last 10 years, North Coast Church. He's like the tech director. So you better believe if he's ever within like two miles of my house and something doesn't work, what do I do? Call him. 
I'm like, excuse me, nerd, get over here right now. Like the TV won't turn on, the toaster's broken, my lights won't work, right? My, I can't tie my kid's shoe, it doesn't matter what it is, he's become like the fix-all in my life, why? Because his familiarity with it is so much greater than mine. And I hope if he's working on any soundboard built by Yamaha, and Mr. Yamaha himself walks in, that if he can't figure it out, he would immediately turn to Mr. Yamaha and go, hey, what? And then when it comes to our life, we go, no, 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 I got this thing figured out. And like a guy in the living room, like pulling cables out of the TV, we're like, no, don't worry. I think if I cut this wire and I just reroute this, I can, and the creator stands in the distance going, I've got, okay, if you would, okay, the way that I built you, okay, we don't want to hear it. It's called autonomy, auto, me, namas, law, me, law, I make law, I'm in charge. I give worth, I give value, I, find, I discover truth. I, I am everything. And so when you go on a journey, maybe because this is how you feel, you don't feel loved, right? You're like, I don't know, I feel pretty. No, you don't. You've never met a human in your life that when they were like 16 years old, there's like a documentary, they're like, so I experienced a lot of love when I was a kid and I'm, um, and I'm done, I've had enough. Right? This is the opposite of the way we were made. Why do you think human beings were made to be insatiable when it comes to love? Because we have an infinite God. God literally built us so that even though we're going to be with him forever in heaven, eternally, we'll never go, I'm full. I'm sufficient. I'm satisfied. That every day we'll wake up and go, I want more of you. And now in the fall, instead of having direct communion with God, we now live in this broken body. This is what Romans chapter 7 says. Who can rescue me from my body of death? But we still have an insatiable appetite for love. But then instead of going back to the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, ever-loving God, we look at each other. And here's what we've done. I'm going to ask you guys right here in the front row. You were on stage. You almost won the game. But then that girl beat you. Here you go. She was powerful, though. She was Annabelle. 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 Well done. Okay, so these are just, um, these are just arrows, okay? I drew these backstage because I just thought of this. Let's see how this goes. Um, you take these. Take this. Yeah, there you go. And here's what I want you to do. When, when I make a good point, I want you to put the arrow up. Like, this is going better than it was. And then when I see something stupid, you can just put the arrow down. Like, that was dumb. Okay? And... I'm not going to concern myself with what God wants me to teach to you. I am instead going to be changed, transformed, and marked by what you're thinking about me, okay? So just keep those right here. Let's go, Mom. Thanks. Thank you so much. If your Bible is open to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. You should already be there, or maybe you've heard this before. But again, we are least aware of what we're most familiar with, like your posture. There you go. Paul starts with this big word, therefore, not big, it's not a lot of syllables, but it's, it's pregnant. It's got a lot of stuff behind it, okay? Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? You see, for the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is basically writing a complete discourse of the gospel message. Romans chapter one, there is a God. He's painted his evidence all over creation. Romans chapter two, uh, you can't get in based on the old way you used to do things. Romans chapter three, but you need help because you are absolutely broken. Romans chapter three, verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. Romans chapter four, don't worry about Abraham and your old way of doing things and being circumcised. That's no longer the standard by anything that we do. Romans chapter five, but 
God demonstrated his love for us in this. He didn't just think about it. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 7, you're still going to have this pull then of your old life and your new life, and that's okay. It's the flesh and the spirit. You're always going to feel that tension no matter who you are. Romans 8 comes along and says, but therefore, even though you're going to feel that, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It gets better than that, Romans 8, 15. You've now been adopted as sons and daughters into his kingdom. And we get this whole pattern then of like, things are going to go really poorly, but you're going to be found in him, Romans 8, 28, for God works for the good of those who love him or called according to his purpose. For those he has uh, predestined, he's foreknown to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8, 30 and 39. But no one can snatch you from his hand. Romans 9, God has built us all for use. He's made you on purpose, by purpose, for a purpose. And your aim, like a willing jar of clay, is to say, Mold me, make me, break me, take me, use me, change me, shape me, however you want to. And if you don't, if you look at the potter and say, I will make myself into something great, your life will be a dumpster fire. And that's how a lot of us feel. If we're honest, we feel like there's just this cosmic tension in our heart at all times, that we're just not who we're supposed to be that there's just more. And we keep thinking, if I experience enough love, I'll be satisfied. If I, if I get enough validation, good, I'm doing good, okay. If I get enough validation from my peers, I'll be satisfied. If this girl likes me, then I will be. And we think, if, if I really wanna love myself, I need to make sure that I keep handing the scorecard of how I'm doing and what my purpose is to the people around me, like this. This might look ridiculous to you, but I would say for the, ma the vast majority of us in here, this is how your life looks. And it's not gonna be speaking for you most likely, but it's gonna be something very different. Can I see these? Thank you guys so much for being very positive. I appreciate that. If you're honest with yourselves, what's your name? Claire. Claire? Who holds these in your life? You don't know? Oh, but there's people that do though. Every day you go into school and you get dressed a certain way and you wanna look a certain way and you want, to, you want people to experience you a certain way and you can't stand the fact that sometimes something about you that you didn't want people to see slips. Because you've got, you have this like cardboard facade, right? It's like this fake version of you. I don't, you like, you like get to school, you're like, hello, hello, hi. This is me and who I am at school. This is great. Now I want you all to tell me how I'm doing. Am I cute enough? Am I funny enough? Am I, or maybe you're the guy who like in your group, you always do the dumb junk that no one else will do because they're wise. And you're like, no, 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 seriously, I'll spray paint it, right? Oh no, I'll kayak in the, count, in the fountain at Marketplace, right? That's how you find your identity. That's how you find your worth. That's how you love yourself. You play into the attention that you get so much and the people around you, you just hand them scorecards of your life. And, and the call of Christ is not, you don't deserve love, you're not worthy of love, you don't need love. The call of the scriptures is to take every scorecard back that you've ever handed out and then give it to the one who created you and be concerned solely with what he thinks. That's it. But you know that takes a lot of excitement. That takes, a, that takes a lot of things kind of scalpeled out of your life. But if you're honest, I want you to start asking yourself the question, who holds the scorecards to your life? And why even on days when they give you 10 out of 10 do you wake up the next morning and need more? The answer is because the heart that you're trying to fill with man-made things was made for God. Do you really think that a chasm built for God can be filled by man?
And the irony is, as technology has advanced, it's actually made us more capable of interacting with the cheers and the jeers and the satisfaction and the scorecards of people around us. Hasn't it? Here's what you're gonna find. When you post on social media, you have, like an addict, which is exactly what sin is, it's an addiction to self, you post something, and there's this guy, his name's, he wrote a book called the, the Mind in the Net, and what they're finding is that the same part of your brain that lights up when a drug addict receives a hit of cocaine or ecstasy is the same part of your brain where your dopamine releases, your dopamine receptors are rewarded for getting a like or getting a positive comment. It, it literally rearranges your neuropath superhighways to make you crave that more than anything else. Are you enslaved to the people who follow you? And you might not go, well, that's a powerful word, enslaved. Here's what I mean. When you wake up in the morning, do you think about what it will take for you to supersede your previous like count, to supersede your previous follower count, to supersede those who hold up scorecards in your life? And friend, let me ask you something else. Is it actually satisfying you? You've never met an addict who drinks enough alcohol that they don't need anymore. You've never met a drug user who uses enough drugs they don't need anymore. What happens to them? Why do they stop? Because their life is shot and they've got no other hope. Unless we think we are that different, this is the way that our world is made. This is the world that you live in. In a 10-year in a, in a period of time where social media was at its pinnacle from 2010 to 2020, your age group, 15 to 21-year-old teenagers, young adults, the suicide rate amongst you went up 75%. But when you watch the commercials, no one gets up and goes, guys, Put it down. This is killing us. Stop worrying about sleeping with more people. It's killing you. This, you're not gonna be satisfied by that. Stop looking at everyone else and how good you are and how great you are and, and how many scholarships you're getting and how athletic you are and posing and always flexing every time someone takes a picture of you. Knock it off because that will lead you to slavery. That doesn't sell iPhones. That doesn't sell supplements. That doesn't sell nutrition. That doesn't sell makeup. So even though the people who are pitching you these ideas are at home fighting their own battle with self-worth, they put out commercials telling you, if you want to love yourself, buy this, think this, do this, achieve this, accomplish this, get them to like you, get in bed with them. This will finally satisfy you. And you know what I know. The sin that I talk about in your life that you defend the most is the one you struggle with most. So if you're really offended by what I'm saying right now, that's the Holy Spirit going, ah, he's touched our idol, has he not? Ah, he's had the nail on the head, hasn't he? So what do we do about it? Therefore, after 11 chapters, brothers and sisters, he's talking about Christians, this is not written to non-Christians. Look, if you don't believe in Jesus, this passage is not for you. You don't need to concern yourself with it. You can take a nap and go, ah, oh, he's talking to the Christians now. This is, this is family business. It's Paul talking to other believers. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, right? Who's experienced God's mercy? The saved, Christians, followers of Jesus. So he's making it clear. If you haven't received God's mercy, if the penalty for your sin is still on you, 
If you plan on meeting God someday and giving an account for your life and getting in on your own merit and you haven't surrendered your sin over to Jesus, this part's not for you. If you have brothers and sisters in view of the mercy God's given, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, why is Paul telling us to do this? He's not saying if you want to be AP Christianity, if you want to make honors roll Christianity, here's what you do. You see, there's these people down here who like, they believe in God and that's just it for them. But if you want to be like Paul, AP Christianity, here's what you need to do. No, he's writing to all believers and he wants you to experience something that he's experienced. Here's what Paul says. Uh, how many of you guys know what Philippians 4.13 says? My man, what does it say? I'll, I'll start you out. I can do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Any of you guys ever like put that on your like eye black during a football game or something like that? Or like before you go pitch the big softball game, you're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a very Christian thing to do. It was my life verse growing up until I read the arrest of Philippians. Philippians 4.13. Did I say Ephesians? Philippians, good. Philippians 4.13. I'll read it to you. Mm, just, if you're into sports, just let this overwhelm you. Or if you got a big test coming up, here's some biblical truth for you. You ready? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It feels good, doesn't it? I want to ask you a question. What's Philippians 4.11 say? 412? 4.14? How many of you guys know Philippians 4.13? How many know Philippians 4, verse 12? You do? Is your Bible open? You, it is? How many of you guys have memorized Philippians 4.11? Don't look down, just you can tell me exactly what it says right now. 4.12, 4.14. Anyone can walk through 4.11 through 4.14 from memory? No, because it's not good coffee mug stuff. It doesn't look good on a t-shirt. It doesn't encourage people, but it is exactly the core and the root of, you want to love yourself? Then be unbreakable. What do I mean by unbreakable? Have the same attitude that Paul had, that Christ had, that said, no matter what this world throws at me, I am not circumstantially based. If you want to be free, friend, we love it. We're like, I'm free. Bull, you're not free. If you're worried all the time about what people think about you, then they control you. Like a monkey in chains, you hand it to the people around you and you say, tell me if I'm doing a good job. Paul says, you want to be truly free? Then I want you to do this. 4 verse 11 says this. I'm not saying these things because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Does, does, does Paul say he's dependent on circumstance? He says no, and he leans in, he goes, I've got a secret. I've got a secret, and the reason it's a secret is not because it's not open to you, but because so few people are actually going to dwell in it and live in it and accept it, that it's almost like this hidden truth of people who follow Jesus. You ready? I know what it means to be in need. Do you guys believe Paul when he says, I know what it means to be in need? This guy was bitten by a snake. He was shipwrecked <laughs> more than once. 
He was high in religious mighty. God blinded him and called him to his own team. He had a thorn in his flesh. He's an old dude, whatever that means. Maybe he had some kind of like issue or maybe it was just his burden for the gospel. We don't know, but he had something that he prayed for God to take away his whole life and he wouldn't do it. Maybe it was some sort of uh, Bell's palsy. It could have been some kind of limp that he had or just a sharp pain or whatever. But he prayed over and over again and God kept saying no. Then he loses all of his power and all of his riches and he becomes a missionary floating around the Aegean, floating around the Mediterranean, crashing into things, getting bitten by snakes. He gets in prison for years at a time. He's writing from jail cells where rats are biting his feet when he sleeps. And he writes this ridiculous phrase, I've learned a secret of contentment in all circumstances. And it's not the circumstances we're talking about, some of us are talking about. You're not like, well, last week Jimmy said that I wasn't his favorite girlfriend he's ever had, so I'm really going through it right now, right? This is a guy in full view of what's happening. He says, I've learned a secret of contentment in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, this is not for the pitcher on the mound to think of themselves, look how great I'm going to do. This is for the person struggling and broken and hurting and, and, and insecure about who they are and saying, no matter what this world throws at me, if I'm found in Christ, that's a rock that can't be moved. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you know how dangerous you become for the world when your two ends of the spectrum are both content for you? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You let me live, I'll preach the gospel, I'll find my identity in him, and I'll pursue him till the day that I die. You're gonna kill me? Then I'm gonna worship with God and enjoy his presence forever. He looks at the pro-council, he looks at Rome, he looks at his oppressors and he says, you choose. Let me go so I can preach more, kill me so I can be with Jesus. But for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you wanna love yourself? Take away the scorecards from your friends. Take away your happiness and your joy from your circumstances and you will become unbreakable. And you'll become very, very dangerous for God's kingdom. Why is it important that you're dangerous for God's kingdom? Because that's what you were made for. And we judge anything and its ability to accomplish what it was built for. Isaiah makes it very clear. You were built to give glory to God, to make his name great, not your name great. And when we do that, you will find almost like a well-fitting shoe or a glove that's perfectly sized. You'll go, wait a minute. This is life. This is John 10. This is real life. And you'll find the people at the hierarchy of society that you wouldn't even trade lives with them even though they have everything that you could ever want in whatever road you're taking. Miley Cyrus, she's got a lot more money than most of us have. She's had a lot, she's very famous. But almost all of us, when we look at her life, if you could push a button and switch places, you'd be like, no, 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 no. Why, because we see through the facade and we go, there's somewhere deep inside there where you're trying to fulfill something that's missing and it looks like you're broken and hurting. I'm not, I'm not tricked by this facade because you know what I know, that it exists in us too. But I just want to warn you and to caution you. Romans chapter 12 says this. If you want to begin to transform your life, don't buy yourself more things. Don't work out a little bit more. Don't uh, make sure that your friends group really likes you by buying them other things. Don't, it's, it's, that's not where contentment is found, and that's what you want. Happiness is bullcrap. Don't go, I want to be happy. It, it comes and goes, with the, it ebbs with the tides. It's a great day, I'm not happy. Fog delay, I'm happy, right? Fog delays, right? <laughs> 
Did you know that's not a thing anywhere else in the world? Anyway, um, but it was always great. You wake up and you're like, yeah, stay home. Uh, your happiness, it's, it's just, it's so frail. But contentment is scary. You find someone content that you can't rattle them. Those are the people we really want to be like. Those are the people that we actually respect. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is, what's the word worship mean? It means worth-ship. This is where you properly apply the worth of your life. True and proper worth-ship is not to give worth-ship to yourself or your friends or your success or your money. It's to give your worth-ship to God. Do not conform. That's, think of like a jello mold. Don't put yourself in a jello mold of this world and then put yourself in the fridge because when you come out, what you're gonna look like? The world. Do not put yourself in a jello mold of the world. Put yourself in a jello mold of Christ. And then through the crucible of hard times and the pain of suffering and the coldness even of rejection, you are going to begin to shape yourself into who Jesus is, not who the world is. Do not put yourself in a jello mode of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is, this is the call this morning as we wrap up. You have to renew your mind. For 167 hours a week, for a lot of us, when we're, that's, there's 168 hours in a week, and for the vast majority of them, when we're not in Bible class or at church or at chapel, maybe we give 160 hours a week for secularism to speak to us. And what does it say? Treat yourself, love yourself, respect for yourself, listen to your heart. That's what I would do, right? That's what we tell each other. What does the Bible say? Do not treat yourself. Book of Luke chapter nine, verse 23, question mark. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself. Put that on a modern day billboard. Hey, if you want to truly experience joy, love yourself by denying yourself, right? Doesn't play well. He didn't say treat yourself. He says deny yourself. The world says follow your heart. You know what God says, Jeremiah 17 verse nine? Your heart is deceitful and wicked not to be trusted. Don't follow your heart. Listen to what this world wants you to be. Seek who God is and become who you were meant to be. Fulfill your purpose. That's how you love yourself. But your purpose should not be asked by the people that are around you, by the scorecards of your friends. You go straight to the cross and you say, build me, make me, mold me, shape me, conform me to who you want to be. Do you want to love yourself? Find your purpose in what you were made to be. Or you'll be an iPhone your whole life, cracked and bruised, who has to keep on putting makeup and keep on gaining followers to show and to tell yourself that you have found a new identity than the one that you were born with. You see, identity achieved is infinitely inferior to identity that's been received. And achieved identity can be unachieved. And if you think that you are worth something because of what you say, it can always be taken away. But when you hand the scorecard of your life to God, that's when you're gonna experience deep, true, unabashed contentment. What can you do then? All things through Christ who's given you strength. Let's pray. Jesus, we've, we've bought into the lie of culture so deep that for a lot of us, when your biblical truth comes out, it just sounds archaic. It sounds antiquated, it sounds old. And it sounds ridiculous, and yet, God, would you give us the humility of heart to ask the really prominent, pervading question we should ask is, is this working? 
We might think that the Bible is old school. We might, might think that the Bible is outdated, but we've done it our own way for so long in our culture and for so many of us, God, even in our hearts. We know these biblical truths. They just don't sit in our hearts. We, so we have bought hook, line, and sinker into what the culture wants us to become and what, 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 we want to, what it wants us to think about ourselves. And God, it's led to deeper depression and to deeper selflessness and to, and, and to deeper, deeper lack of self-worth. And it's, it's, it's taken us so deep down a trail of pain and misery and heartbreak and suicide and mental illness. And even though it's guilty of all that, we keep looking to culture to satisfy as it tells us to go deeper down that well. And if we just look a little bit further, if we just get a few more followers, if we just have a, a, a little more prominent pow- popularity, if we just get a little bit more, but God, would your truth come in and say, it's not that you haven't dug deep enough, it's that you've gone to the, different, uh, the wrong well altogether. For in you is life. May we seek our purpose, not in who the world wants us to be, but in who you've called us to be. And if we spend our life as an iPhone, killing ants, would you show us that we are so much, we are far more valuable than that. But God, that takes with you, first of all, breaking down our pride and our hubris to say, God, make me into whatever you want to make me. Let me pray.